Hello, and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm your host. And today, I have a very special guest. Guys, I am super excited about today's guest. He is a wizard of all things digital. Alex Vonderhaar, he's the CEO and founder of Hidden Falls Media, a neuromarketing agency. And if that confuses you, don't worry, we're going to get into it. That infuses neuroscience and psychology research into digital marketing efforts for small to medium-sized businesses. Guys, Alex is going to walk us through digital marketing, and I know this is a downfall of a lot of organizations. And after today's conversation, Alex is going to give you all the skills, tactics, strategies that you need to get started to have a great presence online. So without further ado, welcome Alex Vonderhaar to the Construction Corner Podcast. What is going on, Dylan? Thank you for having me, man. This is super awesome. I'm glad we were able to get together and do this. Yeah, for sure, man. I know that as, you know, like digital marketing is outside of the, the realm of, you know, dirt, <laughs> sawdust, you know, drywall, conduit, pipe, all that kind of stuff. But it is extremely important, especially in today's day and age to have a great online presence. And often enough, we do not as professionals, whether that's on the construction or design side, have a great online presence. But before we get into all that kind of stuff, I wanted to really ask you, why did you get into marketing? And what, what fascinates you about marketing and all things digital? Uh, well, I mean, how could, how could you not be mesmerized by the internet in some way, shape, or form? For all the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, it's definitely a beast of a revolution in our society. I never planned on going into marketing, had zero interest, took zero business courses in college, had nothing on my mind for anything about that. Um, my background is in neuroscience and psychology. My main focus with that was psychopharmacology. So looking at how different drugs affect the brain and the behavior following it. So anything from illegal to illegal substances all the way to food and how food and coffee and tea and all these other things that we're surrounded by, even TV and phones actually affect our behavior. So I did the traditional good boy route, got through school, did the whole thing like you're supposed to get the piece of paper and the job market, quote unquote, failed me. I say that the way that education was kind of perspected onto me failed me that hey, once you get this, the world kind of opens up for you, which anybody that's out there knows that's total horse. Like it just, it doesn't work that way. So I was young, dumb and ignorant and I ate and fell on that sword pretty hard, but I ended up getting into a small business that just started out. They were maybe like three months off the ground when I first got into them and found out after a few drinks with the owner that, hey, like the business really isn't doing as good as it's fronted out to be and that they were close to a little over six figures in debt. And we had the conversation of, well, do we close the doors and write off the losses? And then I have to go find a new job and explain to mom why I just lost the job I got three months ago and that it wasn't really my fault or we could step up and try to do something. So we decided to go into digital marketing and I took on so much debt, so much time of my own, both financially and fiscally to learn everything about digital marketing. And in the process, I found out how much of it overlaps with psychology and neuroscience. So looking at behavior pathways, looking at uh, stimulus response, looking at 
different losses and biases and different aversions that we have towards certain behavioral patterns is entirely reflected into the online space. It just, I'd never clicked the two together in my life that those two really overlapped. I heard from some people that, yeah, a lot of psych majors go into business, but they never really specified why or to what degree. I just figured, hey, they probably didn't want to be a counselor or couldn't get a job. So they decided to go into business. So that's ironically kind of the same path. So within 18 months of really digging into this, we were able to bring them from 115 in debt up to 2.2 million in sales. And that was all on Facebook, Instagram, and Google. And this was very early on for us. This was probably 2015, 2016 that this started to really happen. And Facebook ads at the time were just exploding. Google ads were already kind of long gone. You kind of missed the golden days of those. And they were still really trying to figure out YouTube pre-roll ads, which we caught the tail end of to some degree. But it's it was a wild ride kind of watching this and growing with it. Um, I've helped him grow the business, couldn't get more than $8 an hour, wouldn't get hired on full time after we got all these successes. So I, I left in January 1 of 2018, we started the business and we've been moving and growing ever since. Oh man, there's so much to unpack in there. First off, like congratulations. Like that's a huge, huge win even though you weren't compensated for it at the time, but to have that on the books is, yeah, it's cool. Is a huge win. Um, another thing that we, we talk about quite a bit in the show or comes up with a lot of the, the construction guys that I talk to is like making the trades cool again. Yeah. You know, so making like you were talking about school failing you right in a way, uh, which, you know, it's one of those things that happened for you, not to you mm-hmm. looking back on it you know, going through it, it sucks. <laughs> we've, all, we've all been there, been, you know, jaded. And for, you know, the three, six, 12 months, you know, it, it sucks going through whatever, but looking back on it, you know, you can see that those stars really aligned, um, which is why we talk about the trades that you learn an actual skill coming, you know, totally. through the trades versus going to school. I mean, granted, you have a lot of the stuff that you talked about too, where, you're learning a skill that's directly applicable to whatever it is you're doing, right? You dove into all the coursework and became a really a lifelong student of this thing that you had no idea about, but there are people out there teaching it that actually did the thing that you wanted to do, which is exactly what the trades do. Um, and I feel remiss if I did not mention that to our audience, you know, that the trades are a great thing and we all need to be I guess, cognizant and aware of pushing people to something that they might be good at, right? Not all of us are college bound, even though like both of us did go to college, but, you know, a lot of people are so mechanically inclined, like I can't fix anything. Let's, I'll be, be honest there. Like (laughs) that's not my, my forte. Like I've, I've got the engineering math brain and, you know, I need people to fix stuff for me. Right. Yeah and or build things and you know we need that in our society so just the the trades are are a big part of that but happening for us like this is kind of the point i want to want you to expand upon how many other maybe circumstances or opportunities have you seen happen for you in your life versus to you 
Yeah. Uh, that was a massive perspective shift. So I've had multiple. The biggest one was a near-death experience that I had had back in college, dead for almost three minutes and brought back, which was super crazy. And that's what really kind of shifted my whole life circumstance around. Uh, I have an unknown airborne allergy. They have no idea what it is. So anytime I'm outside and active, I'm running the risk of just kind of dropping dead. So it's crazy, but it's one of those things that it motivates me to keep going because I look at the perspective of there's other people that wake up at 3 a.m. to go run a marathon. And I'm lucky if I can get like five miles in without panting and gasping. So, dude, it, it's all perspective, right? We all have our own shit that we've gone through at some point in time. It's just a matter of what, what lenses and what perspective choice do we choose to put on the situation and move forward, right? We all got it it's excuses are there for everybody. And I mean, excuses thrive on social media for people too, as to what they actually post and why they don't. Which, you know, kind of leads us into the, the next thing of, you know, really social media and for construction firms um, with, you know, your background, being able to <laughs> take, you know, business that you were in as a, you know, low paid guy and to, to basically turn that, you know, 2.4 million around, um, you know, com commercial construction firms have long sales cycles. So in 18 months, you know, that 2.4 might be one project, right. That they get, that they land, that it took them six months to, to go through with RPs and presentations totally. and everything else. So with, social media, you know, a lot of these firms be like, why, you know, what does it matter? Yeah, why bother? I'm doing person to person meetings or zoom meetings, maybe hopefully in this day and age, um, and responding to RFPs, especially if you're doing government work. So where, where and why should I do social media? I think that's probably the biggest question on oh. a lot of these firms mind. Yeah. So there's, there's two parts wrapped into that. First is what is your real perspective of what these platforms are and do for you? Because most of them can, and I, when I first started, I did this too. I thought, well, all these platforms are a place for me to post. And if people just respond to them, I can maybe get a lead or maybe get some business off of it. So it's looking at if that perspective is what you want to use these for so you talked about a long sales cycle. One of the fastest ways we can shorten a sales cycle is through education, right? And that's typically the biggest reason we had, when we first started out in our business three years ago, our sales cycle was over like three months from the first touch point to the time I signed them as a client. We started putting out content regularly that answered a lot of those frequently asked questions in creative storytelling manners. And that sales cycle went down to two and a half weeks for us. I understand that there's different points to that as far as, your industry is different, but that's just an excuse as well, right? Education is still education in some way, shape, or form. So if you're able to shorten that sales cycle, how valuable is that to you and your team? That you can literally shrink that, even if it's 10%, and you're looking at 18 months, look at that difference of how much that can shorten you compounded over time and across multiple different projects. So it's understanding how these platforms play is running a Facebook ad for a construction agents or a construction firm really going to pay off massive dividends? Maybe, maybe, right? It, it really depends on the copy. It depends on the business. It depends on the images and the creative and what the actual offer is. And if it's clear, 
but it's not going to sell like a $20 widget. It's just not. But that platform could serve as your host for all the videos, all the posts, all the blog articles, all the white papers, all the timelines of how you guys work. It could be infographics to educate. It could be inspiring stories. It could be a multitude of different things. It's just how does that serve your business in a marketing sense? Everybody's online now and COVID shined a huge light for businesses that were digitally poor from an asset perspective of any type of digital asset, whether that's PDFs of your white papers, whether that's educational videos for somebody to know how to use your product. Maybe it's an explainer video. If you have something that's a really kind of complicated idea, how do we break that down and make that easy to consume? Just like we would in a one-on-one -on -one meeting, maybe over coffee or dinner or lunch, where I'm able to kind of break some of these more complex ideas down for you. But if that could be done on a five minute explainer video that you pay somebody on five or a hundred or 200 bucks for, look at all that time and effort and energy you saved. And now your clients have digital resources that they can go back to when they're talking about your business, what differentiates you from somebody else. Oh, well, they have all these free online resources for me that I can go back and watch that video if I'm trying to figure this out on my own or I need help or what does the timeline process look like, right? There's so many different avenues that this can play out. So when we look at digital marketing as a whole, it's not just Facebook. It's not just the platform. It's not just what that ROI is. It's what does that do to your entire business experience from the first time the customer hears about you all the way through when they're a lifelong sold customer. Uh, so much to unpack. Like that was, guys, if you have been listening to this, go back for the last three minutes and re-listen to everything Alex just said. There is so much in there on digital footprint, on digital assets, on education, on answering your frequently asked questions, on shortening sales cycles. Like, in that last three, four minutes, that was so much packed into that little bite that you're gonna need to unpack that, pause, write some notes, go back and do it again. So the, the next question that comes kind of out of this is, all right, you just gave me the kitchen sink, right? You gave me everything <laughs> I need to be doing. But again, we have a lot of content, maybe somewhere that some guy knows about or he's got it in his head. So as a professional firm, let's just talk about like the design side, right? Architects, engineers, professional uh, side of it more. So, and not to say the construction side of it isn't professional, but that's just, you know, what we think of um, is, so where should those firms start? Where should they, they start when they look at digital marketing? Um, let's, we'll take it from there. Yeah. Great question. It's, it comes down to the customer every single time. It, it's cliche, but cliches are there for a reason. It's knowing your audience. So, okay, let's say we truly, and we all do, we all only have the same amount of time in a day to get this different levels of work done in different areas of our life. So if we know as a firm or an agency, we only have two hours a week to dedicate specifically to marketing. And that's all we have. What can you do in those two hours on one platform that you can just absolutely skyrocket with as opposed to looking at everything else that's in front of you and trying to look at it like a buffet line? Let's focus on getting one specific thing that's going to move the needle. Typically, that answer is going to be content. 
And what form of content? Well, it's a multitude of them. Figuring out which works the best for you as a communicator. If you're one person that has to communicate content for an entire company, then we typically have a structural issue within the company of not letting other people have some free reign on that, which is one of the things that we work with, which is how do you empower your employees to write and create competitive or compelling content for your business? Because maybe Julie, age 36, has access to a different side of the market that maybe Bill, who's 57 and has been in here as a life career, he may have his market that's super solid, super loyal, but you know maybe they're stagnant. Maybe you don't need that type of market right now. Maybe you really need the female market to be able to pull in some sympathy, to pull in some emotional bonding between you and some new customers. What type of experience overall would that bring to a holistic agency of where to start? So if you really only have one or two hours a week to focus on your overall marketing, start with looking at how do we expand that time within keeping it the same, right? Where, where can you delegate and pass some of that off to? Yeah. And what I've experienced within, and they were pretty much all the same within architecture engineering firms is you'd have a marketing department, which was typically one guy did like Photoshop, one guy did... And some of that was even the architects where they would Photoshop, whatever, uh, create renderings, all that kind of stuff, uh, maybe a copywriter, and then kind of somebody to put together a RFP, right, or proposal document. So those were kind of like the three, four people that you had to put these together. And, and uh, you know, when we met in person, it was, they put together all the binders and the folders to present at some of these meetings that probably nobody really read. Um, so that's the marketing department. And then you have the rest of the firm, however many people that could be, it could be 20, it could be a hundred of professionals, right? And say you had 10 to 20 at the, you know, they were, I won't say the pinnacle, but they were well-established in their careers, whether that's an architect, an engineer. So you had all these professionals and well, everyone at the marketing department always asks was, Hey, can you write something? Can you write something? And that never happened. So you have all this knowledge within your firm. How would you go about kind of extracting that in those two hours to where your marketing department, you've got a guy who's a writer, you got a copywriter there, you got somebody that can shoot some video and probably edit it. So you have really the, the great winning combination there, writer yeah. Yeah, video, you and then you have a, a expert in their field. So how would you go about kind of creating content with those two hours a week and your marketing department again is dedicated to content where everyone else is dedicated to billables if you will totally. yeah 100 percent. that's a really good question so it comes down to how do we create content that people actually want to enjoy and that they find compelling enough to share or to pass on and actually engage with so there's three different forms of pillar content outside not like in the actual medium right because then video is king for that just because of how it breaks down but within content as a whole for what humans like to enjoy it's educational inspirational and entertainment are the big three and within that we get things like how to we get animal videos we get business videos right we get the whole mix but the ones that really do the best are within those three categories so if we're acting that that's top level like those are the king pieces that we need to hit 
and it's okay if they overlap, but how do we start to put on the filter down beneath them to start to really attract the audience? And that's where we look at what Tony Robbins has with the six human needs and starting to layer those into the content. So we'll tell stories that fuel education, inspiration, and entertainment through the lens of certainty, through the lens of uncertainty, through the lens of contribution, growth, significance, love. And we'll start to look at how do we tell stories around each one of those that pushes towards those barriers that we're going up against. Yeah, that is fantastic. And it, it's difficult too, right? Because it's like, well, how do you get the two pieces to communicate the video and the copywriter? The best way to do that is to start to tell the story because stories are really, really easy to get the message through to somebody. Facts tell, but stories really sell. And moving that story with motivation and emotion into the consumer is the key to that. Yeah, and, and guys, within your firm, you've got that old guy, and I'm just gonna be stereotypical here, that old guy within the firm who's been around forever and he'll talk your ear off for that two hours. He's happy to do it. He will not write a word down, but he will sit there and tell his stories all day long. And that is a great place to start. It's also for knowledge sharing within the company where you can break that down, send it out, and you know, weekly wisdom from Will, right? It's you can start theming it even within your own company, let alone sending it out. Um, so great, great piece there. With video. Obviously, it's the kind of king of content um, that you mentioned. How would people, so, okay, they shot a video with somebody, um, and then there's, there's a bunch of platforms. What do you look to do from that pillar content? Again, you got the marketing department who would be doing this, but, and the, the audience here is going to be the, the people within the firm that have the knowledge um, mm -hmm. to let their kind of maybe marketing department know, um, hey, the heard this, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, so breaking down that content, how would you kind of go about that? Say you get the video um, and then go from there. Yeah, typically the way the pillar content ends up breaking down is that we have video, which we can break out into shorter segments. We can also scrap out the audio. Now we have podcasts. And from that, we can scrap out uh, words through blog and transcription. From the shorter videos, we can pull out images, we can pull out key frames. If there's key, like every call has that little one to two minutes of just straight power and wisdom that is like the juice of it. And it's when I'm taking down, when we're doing notes, when we're doing podcasts, we even have our own paper here internally of like, okay, like about 15 minutes in, we mentioned this and this was really good and this is what we wanna tie it to. So when we're going back and creating that content, we already internally know okay, there was probably three or four smaller pieces that we can put out on Facebook or whatever the platform of choices. LinkedIn is probably really powerful within that industry as well. Putting it out on LinkedIn, getting that nice three to 10 minute video done, push it out and then just rinse and repeat through that process. But the biggest issue with that is there's so much to look at. How do I, how, where do I even start with it? You start with what's most available and what's most convenient and start looking at those other layers of how do we slowly add them in over time? Because what you'll find is that you'll automatically start to create a system. Our brains are phenomenal at creating internal work systems 
because it's how we were able to build and develop as humans and societies and as a culture. It's working through these systems and figuring out a way to do high level problem solving. So we take that and it's gonna extrapolate the same way. So if we know we got this system and process down, let's add on that other five to 10%. Is that extra five to 10% that we do the audio now? Or is it that we're looking at the blog post of it now? Or is it that we're looking at adding more Photoshopped images or taking out keyframes from that to start to create different types? So instead of posts, we'll do story videos now because LinkedIn added that feature and now it's gonna be hot for attention. So how do we start to look at what are those five to 10% so we can add on and as things get systematized, we start adding them back in. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. And, and guys, whether that's, video is gonna be the easiest way for you guys to move forward. You've tried for years to get people to write, they're not gonna do it. That's um, just not gonna happen. I've seen it happen over and over, the ask come through and every once in a while you might put, you know, on a whim, a white paper together, but it's just, those days are few and far between to, to do it. And you've probably got a section on your website that has some white papers that are, you know, last post was two years ago. Um, When's the last time you as a consumer read a white paper on a company though? Or was that even the deciding factor for that, for that conversion on their end? So in construction, no, I've done a lot for other white papers and like, you know, five things about whatever um, and downloads. But yeah, you're right. I mean, for the most part, my consumption as a consumer is on YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, yeah. Facebook. So those are kind of the, the stronger pieces for it. And it's just that it's there, I think, with white papers that you have that thought leadership. Sure. Um, which really leads into thought leadership. And how do, so we've got all this content, we're out there. Is that how we build thought leadership or what's kind of, how do you attain that, you know, thought leadership status that everybody wants within the industry, whatever that might be in? Yeah, that's a, that's an attention question at the core, isn't it? Is how, is how do we get that level of attention back to us? Marketing and advertising is a lot like a flashlight on a boat. And if you've never turned on the flashlight at night in a boat, you might not know if you've got holes leaking in or not. So you don't really see it until it really starts to pour back in on both sides. So when you're going out, you need to make sure you at least have your own ducks in your row first before we start pointing that light outward. So making sure that you have an updated profile page, making sure that you have recent postings on all of your accounts, so that way it doesn't look dead. Even if you took a two-year hiatus, Let's start putting a little bit out there before you automatically jump to the idea that you need to be a thought leader. The fastest and most effective way without wasting money on ads to try to get to that status level because easy come, easy go, would be to start doing what's called attention hacking through audiences. So I'm gonna go out, find all the niche markets or the super siloed off real small markets within my industry and start penetrating those groups and contributing to those conversations and trying to pull the attention to the conversation more than to me. So it's coming from that servant mentality of, I'm going to hop into, so for my industry, I'll use mine as an example. I'm going to hop into a photography feed 
because all of my clients need content to some level and some degree. There's nobody out there, maybe besides Gary Vee, that's overly rich in content. And even he'll tell you that he doesn't have enough. So we'll start to point that lens and say, where, where inside the photography realm can we find leaders? Well, it's primarily going to be in Facebook and Instagram uh, threads and feeds and groups. Go in there, figure out what the conversation is, what their points are, and start adding value to the conversation. What's great about it is that instead of writing dusty old white papers that most people don't read anymore, is that you can actually start to create lead gen magnets or lead magnets off of those conversations that you're having online. So if you're seeing, hey, I can't figure out how to fix this shutter issue on this camera, now I've got a lead magnet out there saying, hey, here's how to fix the most common issues with this type of camera. Now I've got the name, email, phone number, and I contributed to their conversation. Now I'm pulling it back into me. So it's just where do you start to layer in some of these features of digital marketing within one another so it sings like a symphony and doesn't hum like a broken down boat. I love that analogy. That's a, that's a great one. And, and there's just, there's so much space to go within this. And we hit on social, which everybody should be posting and, you know, grabbing those clips or photos out of the conversations that we talked about to post doing stories and you're going to have that kind of thought leadership, if you will, within those. And then the, the thing that I'd kind of like to hit on and for, for some of these companies, I know it's going to be a, a hot button, but it's going to be having your own people go and jump into these groups and not, you know, the, the company name. Right. So yeah. for, for me, obviously, you know, founder of my own company, it's fairly easy for me to use both, right? Personal and business and same for you, right? Personal and business that go and talk in these forums. But when we, we talk about a company, it's maybe got 50, 100 people. Um, you want to build the brand and company, but you also need to put your people out there because they're the experts, right? That's your, your talent. So kind of where do you fall uh, within using your own people and talent versus just just the firm to go and, and talk about the industry yeah that's a really good question and one that i don't think anybody's ever asked me on a podcast but it comes up a lot when we're actually talking to businesses it comes down to personal choice of how well you think your culture is and how rock solid you feel with your employees if you feel like that they're going to their people are going to talk shit online anyway if you put rules in place or not it's just human nature, right? Because there's a level of anonymity there. I can hide behind a Twitter handle much easier than I can hide behind you than if we're sitting in the lunchroom together. So knowing that and knowing that that is an issue that's out there it comes down to culture and how you built your business and what your communication expectations are. So most companies already have some level of social media, don't want to say documentation, but some level of HR paperwork around digital media and social media when it comes to the company. A lot of it comes down to just communication and standards of, hey, if you're going to go out there and bring, if you're in sales and bring back business for us, that's a great revenue stream that's going to benefit you. Or if you're out there and you're at a networking event because you're our liaison for that, snap a picture and tag us, right? Take that liberty on your own. Or, hey, you know, I just, wrapped up a day of work, here's kind of a thing of what I'm working on. People are gonna post about it anyway, good or bad, 
It's just how do you influence and try to kind of guide that conversation, core values, making sure that your communication is on point, your mission and values are on point is always going to help you in that case. Absolutely. And guys, one thing to add to this is, let's say, okay, we, we let people take pictures. The biggest thing for a lot of us is you need to make sure and communicate uh, what your client's wishes are. Um, so for, for some of the clients we work with, maybe they don't want their project shown. So it might be okay to take a picture of like the outside of the building or partially way through construction or maybe design and rendering, but don't tag them. Um, you know, don't just say, Hey, this is what I'm working on, right. To show a cool thing, but nobody knows what it is, where it is, any of that stuff. So you, through your organization, you do need to communicate what the client expectations are, what can or can't be shared. And just so that you don't get in trouble, um, you know, from a client perspective, not just internal, uh, you know, HR thing on whether you could or couldn't share anything. So that's, that's just something else to consider in there. Yeah, it's a really good point. Coming back, is it educational, inspirational, or entertainment? And does it fit within the core company values? Yeah. And if you don't have core values, that's another long conversation, but you should create those. <laughs> okay. We've talked social, we've talked video, we've talked basically everything online, except for maybe still the king in the digital marketing space. And this is email. So I don't know that I've ever seen a newsletter, maybe once in a blue moon from a, an architecture engineering company, even a construction company. So, and not just like the, hey, look at our projects, but yeah. something that's, you know, maybe actually useful um, for email marketing. So how, from everything that we've talked about already, should email marketing be utilized within these companies? Totally. There's two types of email marketing campaigns and it's finding a balance between the two. The first one is a nurture campaign and the second one is a sales campaign. Um, it's finding the balance between the two and really working. But if you're developing a strategy, let's go back to that. I have two hours a week to develop a marketing strategy and actually start to implement it. What could we do in that first week? We could devise what's gonna be five individual emails for each one. You don't need to email people every day. You don't even need to email them multiple times a week. You can do one a week and get away with it just fine. So right there in that one meeting, you have 10 weeks worth of emails that you can put out and you can do campaigns around each one of those sets, a nurturing or a sales-based one. But if you're going to do the sales-based one, understand that it can't just hit hard right hook of, hey, I need, to, I need you to buy this, right? bring up a story and tell, the, tell them the reason why this is going to serve them. Email got really stale and bland. Why? The rest of the content world still creative and crazy. Yeah, there's still people that are going to be bland and not so creative, but that's your moment to shine. If nobody else in that industry is taking advantage of this, what a huge land grab opportunity to go in and actually provide value provide some entertainment, provide some education, inspire them with a project or inspire them with something that's visual based. If you're dealing with architecture, you have such incredible opportunities 
to share photography, to share videography, to share design and good, good fundamental design just at the basic level, not just when it comes to buildings, but let's talk about design overall. How cool would it be if you did a weekly review of the most famous buildings inside or around the world, right? And what makes them architecturally interesting or the buildings that have those weird staircases that lead to nowhere, right? How cool would it be if somebody broke down on a video that you put inside of a nurture campaign of, hey, here's how they thought about this and here's what they possibly could have done differently if they wanted to do some extra things here, here, and here. Gold, just pure gold. And guys, within your own marketing team, within your own company, like these types of thoughts of, wouldn't it be cool if, fill in the blank, right? Come up with, like Alex said, 10 ideas, get 10 people to talk about it or write a story about it or get on video and share a story. It's not gonna be that hard. You're just gonna have to set up some of these structural things like, hey, I have a story I wanna tell and you take 15, 20 minutes to go and set up a camera tell a story, you know, and then the marketing team can get to work on it. It's not going to hurt your billables. It's really going to be beneficial for you in the long run. And you're going to have all that it's ever, you know, like it doesn't go away. Yeah. So that's the other beauty of everything we're talking about. It is evergreen content. You can pull up those old videos from however long ago you shot them and uh, pull them back up to share again. You know, a real hidden gem of this that we haven't talked about is, well, what happens when it actually takes off? Let's say I took the time to invest the video, invest in video, invest in the content. What's it going to do? Because I still have to spend money on ads if I want to get results is the number one big thing, right? I still am going to have to spend money even after I go through all this problem. The answer is twofold. Yes and no. Yes, if you want to push it further and get into new audiences, there's going to be ad spend or attention hacking like we talked about earlier going through groups. But the second part of this is let's say you actually do get a thriving YouTube channel off after putting in the work, developing the audience, developing the culture. Do you monetize that channel? Creating partnerships with businesses that serve the same audience to monetize even if you're not letting YouTube run ads on the video. What a powerful way. What a powerful way to collaborate. And what a powerful way to get ad sent money back if you do decide to monetize your channel and you get to that spot where you're able to, that way your marketing is paying for itself. And for a lot of people that get to that, you know, 50 plus thousand subscriber mark, which sounds like a really big number at first, but in reality, look at how many people are in the world. 50,000 is really not that big. Once we get there and we start getting that AdSense revenue back, you could be making four or five figures a month just off of one video. It only takes that one. Yeah, that's great. I mean, with YouTube, you get paid per thousand views, I believe. So if you've got 50,000 people, you know, 50x, whatever that dollar amount is, and I don't know what they pay out for, you know, those views. And then there's a view time in there. So if it's a 20 minute video times, you know, 20,000 views, <laughs> you do a few of those a month, it, it can add up pretty quickly. Yeah. Kind of moving a little bit off of the content side of things and into um, data. Um, 
kind of as our next piece. But first, Alex, let them know where they can find you. Obviously, we've gotten a ton of value out of this, guys. And you should be following Alex. Puts out a lot of great stuff and just a ton of value. So, Alex, where can I find you? On all social media platforms, alex.vonderhaar, V-O-N-D-E-R-H-A-A-R. Or you can find the business page, which is where we put a ton of social media tips, tricks, hacks, neuromarketing tips, tricks, and hacks, which is at Hidden Falls Media. Awesome. So for the data question, and this is really, you know, we've got all this content, we've maybe started to run ads, we've uh, gone and talked in groups and spent some time in there and had our people do that as well. What data should we be looking at? Um, I mean, there's a lot of data that, that we maybe have, right? Historic win rates, cost structures, and then even within our own content, we've got probably some analytics that we can look at, you know, ages, where they're at in the world, you know, from their IP addresses um, yeah. and where they, they log in. But as, as a firm doing big projects, you know, maybe it's locally, maybe they're national, what what type of data first can we pull out of the digital world? I think that's really the, from everything we've talked about, the next logical step. Sure. It all comes down to what your KPIs are. So your key performance indicators and figuring out how those align with what you're actually intending to use these platforms for, which is how we started this conversation, right? If I'm only using Facebook for the idea of, I want my customers to be able to see a place where I have reviews, testimonials, and that we're semi-active with content. And that's the only goal. I don't expect any leads from it. I don't want anything besides a show and tell, and that we are who we say we are. Then a key performance indicator for that probably isn't going to be that we got 50 new inbound lead messages from Facebook Messenger this month. Not going to happen if we shift our key performance indicators to align with that type of goal, it would probably be, okay, we need to make sure we get one new testimonial on there every month. So that way it's active. You know, it can't be a review from March of 2018. And now we're at the end of 2020 going into 2021 and right. Like there's, there's dissonance there. It doesn't add up. So it's all about how you're structuring those pages to function for you to determine what data we need to start pulling out of there to best serve you as a business. So let's look at it. If you are using, you know, paid ads to start to generate leads and traffic and everything else, you're going to find what your own ratios are as far as what are good conversion rates from traffic to leads to actual purchases. The market fluctuates all the time based off of the cost for it because it's an auction. A lot of platforms are auction based. So there's no set price on an audience, which is phenomenal. It means we're not always overpaying, but sometimes we are. So looking at it, how can we start to align our averages over a week window, a month long window, a two month window, and starting to look at these trends over time. Social is great. It gives us immediate feedback, but trends are still trends, which means that there will change over time. So which ones do we look at if we're doing lead generation? Obviously, uh, cost per click is one of them that's on everybody's mind. How many, how many people can I get for a dollar or $2 or $3, right? Looking at that out of how many of those unique link clicks. So how many times did a new person come back? It's always a good one. And then comparing that to 
the people that actually generated a lead or hit a certain step. And then we're looking at people that have come back multiple times and spent time browsing. There's a ton of features, especially if you have the Google uh, tracking code and the Facebook tracking code installed, you can actually filter that out by time view, which is what we start to look at. Because if they're on your site for three to five minutes, odds are you've, you've piqued their interest and you have their attention for at least that time of window. Something caught their eye, right? Now it's time to start fishing them back and pulling them back in and starting to look at, okay, well, how much does that re-engagement or retargeting cost look like for us? And over time, as we add more people in, how do we get that to go down? Because online, atten or online revolves around two things, really, acquisition and retention. How much is it going to cost me? How much does it take to retain them? But that all fits under the lifetime value of one customer. And within that, guys, so everything Alex talked about in, you know, you're running ads, you're getting that data, they're coming to your site. Is there something to entice them to give you their email so that you don't have to pay to talk to them again, right? Or the minuscule amount that you have to pay for if your list is large enough and you send enough emails that you're going to have to pay for some email service. Um, so to think about that to kind of lower that cost to continually reach your audience. And frankly, you probably have a lot of emails and business cards and desks around the office uh, to start to populate that, that list of, of clients. And, you know, they can unsubscribe. It's not a big deal. Um, but you can start to build that list with, you know, just business cards that you've gathered over the years that are sitting in desks somewhere. Can we talk about that real fast? I yeah. love the idea when people unsubscribe from me. Why, why would I want a list of 10,000 people, but none of them are active? I want a high engagement. I want high open rate. So that person wasn't going to open them continuously anyway. So why do I want them there? It, it hurts my, it hurts my numbers. It hurts my data. I don't want them there. Get them out faster. Great point. And yeah, I mean, so when you start looking at email, you're going to pay per subscriber or person on your list. So with a lower list, higher open rate, I mean, it, it works better. And then you're not getting, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this too, like not getting marked as spam um, by Google primarily or Outlook um, to make sure your email actually gets delivered. So there's going to be, there's a lot of other stuff behind this guy, but in simplicity, you want people that are engaging, that are gonna be your customers and everyone else you don't care about, right? They're not gonna buy from you anyway. They're not gonna buy from you. So it doesn't matter if you're talking to them or not because they're not listening. I think we have covered a lot of ground today. A lot of the basics plus some in uh, multiple levels and producing content for these firms. Uh, you know, and guys, I know we talked more on the design side, but you can do the same thing with your, with your field guys, you know, bring a field guy in who's super knowledgeable and doesn't completely suck at talking and put them in front of the camera, right? Like bring those guys in or the guy, the funniest guy on your crew, bring him in, put him in front of the camera and have him tell a good story. You've all got one of those guys on your cruise and everyone can use a good laugh.
But before we take off, guys, Alex, any departing words that you want to say to our audience? Yeah, just one last wrap-up point on that. One of the fastest-growing um, podcast shows that's out there right now is four lawyers sitting down and talking about the craziest cases they've ever gone through. And it sounds kind of interesting, but at the same time, if you have zero interest in that, you have zero interest in it. But how many, how many new clients do you think each one of them has picked up just from the fact that they decided to get together and storytell. Oh, and by the way, they're all owners of different firms. So they're all quote unquote competing for the same audience, but they're really not. They're all winning together. What are some of those? I want to leave you with the idea of how can you collaborate and inspire with other people together to create something really cool and interesting? What are those collaborations? What are those strategic partnerships that make sense? That way you can grab the attention of both and really create some real synergy and momentum. That would be my challenge to you that and to go make somebody smile. And guys, the simple one is going to be other trade partners. Uh, so if you're an electrician, pair up with a HVAC guy. If you're a plumber, you know, pair up with uh, woodworkers, you know, like carpenters. There's plenty of trades. You're all on the same job sites anyway. And you can all probably tell some really good stories of dumb shit that's happened. Um, just don't name any projects for any pending lawsuits. So guys, we've covered so much on the show. Go back, have a listen two, three times. There's so much you're going to need to pause, write down, come back to, and really dive in deeper. If you're looking to do marketing of any sort on any scale, Alex is going to be the guy to go to. I've had many conversations with Alex. He is a wealth of knowledge and uh, just a super good guy. So Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. You're uh, always an inspiration to talk to, and I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Dylan. I really appreciate it. Guys, if you need to get a hold of me at alex.vonderhaar on all social media platforms, that's the best way. Thank you. And that's this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Until next time.